from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Marketing Matters on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara Kahn, the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing, and I'm joined by my co-host, America Freed, the Whitney M. Young Jr. Professor of Marketing and the Brand Identity Theorist. Hello, Americus. Hey, Barbara. How's it going today? What have you been up to lately? It feels like I haven't seen you forever. Yeah, just trying to just, you know, stay cool as much as I can. Maybe you got some tips for me, huh? Uh, don't you have some, do something new brewing in I the do. ever in the ever Americas project world? Like, I, are I you do. ready to talk about it, or it's still? Like uh, it's, it, it, I'm still. It's still a little bit half baked, Barbara. <laughs> so, uh, stay tuned, listeners, for uh, an update on uh, what Americas is toiling on in the lab. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I'm almost ready to talk about it pretty soon. What's new with you, BK? Uh, you know, just trying to catch up with all the work I fell behind on. Actually, I've been, I do research on variety and I've done variety for a long time and variety is like a hot skip and a jump to diversity. So Mm -hmm. lately I've been expanding my academic pursuit to think about the benefits of diversity, obviously in DEI kinds of initiatives, which a lot of people are talking about now, but just the idea of what does variety mean? What does variety signal? How important is variety? Why is diversity such an important thing? Um, There's obviously fairness issues, but it turns out that a diverse workforce tends to be more creative, more innovative, Mm. and Mm -hmm. trying to understand those kinds of benefits of diversity. So that's been kind of interesting. Very, very cool. Well, we'll be waiting for updates on the research. That's awesome. What have you got for us today for hit or miss? Let me, before I talk about our hit or miss, and I'm really not sure if this is a hit or a miss, let me introduce our fellow player, which is Kara Salpini, who's the senior editor for Retail Dive and always knows everything about state-of-the-art in retail, which is incredibly useful. Uh, So, Kara, welcome to our show and welcome to Hit or Miss. Yes, thank you for having me on again. And I'm not not sure I know everything, but I will take take it as a compliment. (laughs) Maybe not everything, but pretty close. So let's start. I have a hit or miss, and it's really not at all clear to me which one it is, which was written up in the New York Times this week. And they talked about this new initiative. It's probably starting in Williamsburg in the in Brooklyn, but in New York, but I think it's going on all over the place, which is this idea of a business shower. You know how people have wedding showers and Mm. baby showers? Well, Mm -hmm. some of these people are deciding, well, I may not be having a baby right now, but I am Mm. starting a business. I am an entrepreneur. And that's the reason that we should start having a business shower. Um, It's a new concept. And some some person, the Dalmum Alton, I don't know who she is, but the founder of Makeland, which is a masterclass for female founders, offers this free virtual kit called Startup Stork Mm. to help people plan these business showers. And so you can have a big party around it, get all your friends come and give you gifts to help you with your new business. Um, And I thought, you know, is this a hit or a miss? It's not Mm. at all clear to me, but it's Mm. kind of just the idea. I thought maybe we could get your feel on the whole idea of showers and wedding showers and baby showers and now startup showers. (laughs) It's very much a retail concept, you know, Mm. and it doesn't work. Does it bring together and increase retail? Is it smart for the person who sh- who, who, sh- who throws their own shower? Mm. Kara, mm. what do you think about this concept? Have you heard about these business showers? 
this is the first time I'm hearing of it, but it sounds, <laughs> it sounds fascinating. Um, I think like from, from one perspective, it sounds like a really great idea in the sense of like, you know, wedding showers, baby showers, that kind of thing. Therefore your friends and family to like help you along in a certain period mm. of your life. So like the arguably founding a business is a really similar thing where like, you're probably sticking your exactly. neck out a little bit to do this. So it gives friends and family the option to purchase something that's going to actually help you mm. um, in your pursuit of the thing. So I kind of, I, I kind of like it from that perspective of like, I do think that there would be a, you know, a subset of people around an entrepreneur who would love to help them kind of get their feet wet, especially if they're, you know, a brand new um, yeah. entrepreneur. So that's a really interesting kind of, yeah, that's, that's my initial take is it feels at least at the very least, like an interesting kind of concept to test out. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah we'll, I think we'll your intuition is exactly right. That's kind of what they're thinking about, you know, liking in, you know, as we're as we're going into diversity, we're going into different kinds of lifestyles. Not everybody wants to have kids and go that way, but they are taking on challenges and the idea of having everybody help you with those challenges. It's kind of the idea a little bit behind crowdsourcing and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Marcus, yeah. you got your own particular take on this idea. Yeah, well, so just for the sake of argument, I, I'm going to I'm going to put the devil's out advocate here. I actually think the idea is interesting, but let me throw this out there because I mean, it's sort of like, what would be the difference between doing this barber and, and doing something that would be almost like housewarming or something that was not so gender, uh, gender linked, let's say, because I'm wondering, you know, I'm thinking about the, the, the female entrepreneur and maybe, you know, maybe if this is for her and maybe it's totally misogynistic for me to even suggest this, but if this is for the, the female entrepreneur, it may, it may seem kind of like, well, what, aren't, we, aren't we trying to move away from these traditional kinds of things, you know, a shower and here, you know, and the girls come and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, <laughs> I, do I, I don't know. I think it's gender free. I think, I think that there okay. are other ones. Like there's a business gift registry, which is another website where you can register for the gifts you need for your business. So, so, so it's, it's a shower broadly defined. It's not to be taken as serious. Like the, my, my, it won't be all my buddies showing up and putting cigars in my mouth. It, it won't be like that. It's possible it started out gender, but I don't think it's, it's 100% that. Yeah, also, Kara. I think I think Barbara that the interesting kind of overlap you could see with something like this too is if it became broadly more popular you could see like certain retailers beginning to get involved in that and like offering services yeah, right, where right. you can create yeah. a registry, right? Cuz you can yes. do that with like Bed Bath and Beyond or whatever. Yeah. Like I'm going to create a baby registry or whatever registry. So you could see also an opportunity for some of those companies you know, Office Depot, Staples, whoever, to kind of like capitalize on that and start um, marketing that, which might change also the trajectory of it. Huh. Interesting. That's a really good intuition because you, we are seeing in general that retailers are moving, which uh, we're going to get into when we talk about some of the stories you've been working on, like what's happening with toy store, toy stores and stuff, getting more into the whole experience rather than just selling the merchandise. So this is another way to get into the whole experience of building a business and identifying as the retailer for choice for new businesses so you can imagine somebody like staples being right there you know right. like what kind um, of services could you offer like yeah potentially one of those yeah so that's pretty cool so carrie we hear you have a hit or miss for us uh what's your hit or miss i do i do um so i thought one that could be interesting to talk about is casper 
partnering with Bed Bath & Beyond. So mm. in case you guys haven't heard about this, so Casper decided to do a shop and shop within Bed Bath & Beyond. And it's mm. its first ever kind of shop and shop with a retailer. Okay. Um, so, I mean, there are two ways to look at this because you can look at it from, is it a hit for Casper or is it a hit for Bed Bath & Beyond? I think for Bed Bath & Beyond, it's definitely a hit because they're in the middle of this like huge turnaround. They're trying to get people to come back into stores. They're trying to really like revamp their private labels, like revamp the in-store experience. And this kind of shows them as associated with this like hip, like more popular direct consumer brand. Um, so I think for Bed Bath & Beyond, it's, it, it feels like a hit to me for Casper. Mm -hmm. I'm mm. kind of undecided. <laughs> mm. you know, that's, I, I don't know if you guys have been following, but it feels like they're making wholesale partnerships with everybody lately. So I'm I'm not sold on Casper, but I feel like it's a hit for Bed Bath & Beyond. It's interesting because I believe J.B. Antler is on the board of Bed Bath & Beyond. I think that's the one he's on the board of. He's the advertising agency that helped Casper, the branding agency, get there, all their fantastic marketing that they did Casper. So if, if I'm right and he's on the board, I'm, I should double check my facts, but I think he's on it. I imagine he's seeing some kind of marketing interaction between some of the pizzazz of Casper and bringing that sizzle to Bed Bath & Beyond. Um, mm -hmm. And of course what Casper needs is distribution. So um, mm. this can and, help. And, and, the, and, the, and the folks who are coming to the Bed Bath & Beyond stores, are, is, are, is foot traffic up, Barbara, or down? Or what's the deal there? I don't know. Kara, do you know? Kara, do you, do you have data on this? <laughs> I, don't have the, firm, the, the, I don't have firm data on it off the top of my head, but I think like what we've been watching really closely and what could be a reason for uh, the Casper Bed Bath Beyond partnership is that you have Mark Tritton, who came in as CEO like November, I don't, I'm not going to remember the exact time frame, um, last year or the year before, but he's been really kind of overhauling all of what Beth Beyond is doing. So it could be that, you know, wherever they're at in that turnaround, like whether or not it's bearing fruit entirely, um, Casper is kind of recognizing that. And Mark came from Target, which has been massively successful in a yeah. lot of ways in recent years. And they have a lot of shop and shop initiatives and stuff. So it's possible that Casper is kind of looking at that, looking at the leadership and being like, well, we like that. We like what he's doing overall. So like, we're going to take a chance here and like hope that it's paying off for us. So <laughs> that's kind of a, another possibility for why Casper is interested. Yeah, I mean, I think this what we're seeing all over are these interesting collabs, you know, or collaborations between different kinds of partners. And there could be worse than this one, I think. So I'm in the boat. It's a hit. What do you think, Americus? Yeah, I'm going to yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say it's a hiss because <laughs> I because I, I love what it's doing for Bed Bath & Beyond because I totally agree with that analysis. Uh, in the sense of the brand halo and like, wow, that's a great signal for folks who would say that, okay, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond is kind of cool and hip and, and, and on the rise coming back. But I still, I'm just not clear what, what, it, what does Casper get out of this, even in terms of just distribution, right? Because they are, I mean, I would love to know, Barbara, like the percentage of DTC sales versus uh, otherwise for, for Casper, for example, and just understand a bit of those economics a little bit more. So, I, so I'm a little bit unclear. So I'm going to say it's kind of a hit. Definitely a hit for uh, a hit for Bed Bath and Beyond, and and a question mark for uh, for Casper. 
Yeah, it's a pretty competitive business, the mattress business. I know there are a lot of people who came in. Casper is probably the best known of all of them, but I think there's a lot of people there. So anything that builds up their brand, maybe that continues to help. Well, let me reintroduce you. I'm Barbara Kahn, along with my co-host, Americus Reed. This is Marketing Matters. And today we're joined by Kara Salpini, who's the senior editor for Retail Dive. And one of the things Retail Dive does periodically is a deep dive into some really interesting stories. And Kara's been working on some very interesting deep dives, I think. And we're going to ask her to tell us a little bit about her deep dive into the toy industry and what's been trying to take the place of Toys R Us as mm. Toys R Us went under. Who's the new Toys R Us or what's, what's going on? And I don't think there's one answer to that question, Kara. Why don't you tell us what you've been seeing? Yeah, so this is an interesting space. I don't generally cover toys, but I, I kind of wanted to look into like, there are a couple of players that are doing some interesting stuff in terms of the in-store experience. And it feels really different from what Toys R Us was doing. So like when I think of a Toys R Us, I think of it being kind of like a standalone location where like you have to kind of decide you want to go to Toys R Us in order mm-hmm. to end up at Toys R Us. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then like, you know, one of the sources in my piece phrased it really well, but basically he said, you know, Toys R Us is like wall-to-wall, floor-to-ceiling toys, which was like great when you were working up to the holidays, but outside of that, they didn't do a whole lot in terms of experience to kind of like draw people in and like allow people to play and really kind of foster that culture, which in toys feels like, you know, very natural for that category. Like if you're a kid, you want to play with the toys and you want to kind of experience them. Um, so, So some of the players that I kind of took a look at that are approaching this in different ways. Um, Lego is one of them and they're kind of embarking on this whole store revamp strategy and they've got some flagships that they're opening. And so I kind of looked at the New York flagship that they were opening in particular and it's got you know all of these brick models everywhere. It's got all of these different kind of areas where they're trying to engage kids physically playing with Legos. And then also they're trying to tie in some of those digital and personalization kind of elements. So there are a couple different areas where you can like personalize a a mini Lego figure of yourself, for example, or like you can create a a (laughs) mosaic out of Legos, (laughs) like some really cool stuff. And then um, there's also some digital experiences. So like there's like a, a, an AR kind of experience that you have to pay for, but like it's kind of mixing these physical and digital um, experiences, which is kind of an interesting, an interesting way to go about it. And then camp is the other one I looked kind of a little more in depth at. And that one's an interesting one because they don't consider themselves a toy store necessarily. So they don't, they wouldn't call themselves a toy store. They mm. call themselves, I think, a, a family experience center. So mm. the, the Have you ultimate... ever been to a camp, Americus? Have you ever seen I've, that store? I've, I've never seen that store. I've, I've been to the store. one in New York. There's, I know there's one like near the village or Soho somewhere. In, and you go in, and Kara can explain, but it, it does sell toys. But it's kind of like a theater in the back, practically. Oh, I mean, wow. You play and yeah. more, more of space is built into playing and theater. And there's like a food place to buy there. It's very, very yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes total sense. Barbara's, Barbara's pretty much described like exactly the thing of it, it's basically trying to live in this space where families can wake up and say like, well, what do we want to do today? Like, maybe we'll go to camp and find something to do. And like the merchandise, um, Rachel Sheckman from Story is on their board. So it's actually like really similar to the way she ran Story where there are themes. So they'll have like 
I think Art Camp was maybe their most recent. So it's like all themed around art. And then the merchandise is also themed around art. So it's like this kind of interesting blend of like an experience location that also sells um, merchandise. So that's kind of the gist of the story is just like, you know, what is replacing Toys R Us? There's no specialty big box store that's coming in to replace Toys R Us. There's these players who are doing interesting things with experience. And then there's the Walmart, Target, Amazon, which are just there for someone who wants to buy with a cheaper price or convenience. Mm. One of the points you made in the story, so I'm just paraphrasing you, but I thought this was a really interesting way to think about it, is one of the problems with Toys R Us, there's a lot of reasons why Toys R Us went out, lots of reasons, you know, Amazon, they had too much debt. But one of the things you brought up in the story was that it was so seasonal. And so even though during Christmas and the holidays, people went in and really probably made a lot of money for Toys R Us during that time, because they only sold toys from floor to ceiling, they didn't, when you weren't in the market for a toy, you didn't go into that store. Whereas Target, Walmart, and those others that sell toys, they, and this is, I'm paraphrasing Kara, not this smart, but she said this, they can sell toys as a loss leader, bring you into the store and buy other things. So right. you're not so dependent on toys, which turns out to be very seasonal. So kind of what these other stores are doing, like camp or Legos, it's giving Love you that. a reason to go into the store besides just buying a toy to put under the tree at Christmas time. Yeah. And the other, the other thing to build on what Barbara's saying really quickly, Barbara, and I think this is related to the point that you always make about experience, experience, experience. Yeah, that's replacing location, location, location. But the idea that, you know, I mean, I, I, love, I love thinking through the hypothesis of when you're in the play mode, when you're there playing, you know, how does the buying decision process change? Like you're feeling emotions, you're happy, you're, with your fa- you're having fun. It's, it probably, it's probably easier to buy more, spend more, you know, and consume more but just because of the emotionality that's being created just as a function. You've changed kind of the purpose of the, of the floor space into this really interesting, more experiential, more kind of, you know, let's connect. And then, oh, by the way, we might buy something. Probability of buying probably may go up. I don't know. It might be a two-tail hypothesis, but it's kind of it's interesting. certainly the hope, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. One of the things that's also interesting, and I was thinking about this, is I'm thinking about you, America's taking your daughter to one of these stores. You know, that's kind of how I'm picturing it. My kids are way too old for this. But, <laughs> But yours aren't. Um, your daughter isn't. And I was thinking, and, and Kara, I'm curious what your reaction is on this. These are not gendered toy stores. You know, mm-hmm. America's has a daughter, but like, I don't think about, I mean, I, not the way the old Toys R Us where you always knew the girl aisle, mm-hmm. the boy aisle, you know. Oh, that's interesting. interesting. The camp that I went into or think about Legos, they're really not gendered at all. Did you? Have any reaction on that? No, yeah, that's a super interesting point. And I, I mean, I definitely didn't go into that in the piece, but I think that that is kind of key to the way that these experiences work is not only are they not like saying, yeah, like here are the boys' toys, here are the girls' toys. They're kind of just saying, come here, like play with us, experience what we have to offer and like see what you like. But at the same time, it's also, um, they both kind of seem like they're trying to engage adults as well as children. So like, mm. it's not its not the whole Toys R Us thing where like, if you're a parent, you probably hated going to Toys R Us. Oh, because like, there's, I do remember. <laughs> there's nothing for you there. Right. <laughs> like, fair. it's not, you know, it's not a fun experience necessarily. And, and something that Camp and Lego both kind of stressed is like, we are trying to make it a place where you're engaging, the parents are engaging with the kids. So like, oh. 
and Smart. and in camp you know they offer barbara you brought up like the food side of things they offer like craft cold brew coffee and like jenny's ice cream like they're really kind ah. of trying to tap into these trendy yeah. kind of um adult products so where like you wouldn't basically you wouldn't hate your life going there you know like you're gonna go there and you're gonna like it which also could impact what you end up walking out with because as the parent you are probably going to be the one who's purchasing it for your kid but like you know it's there's something to trying to kind of make the adult experience a little bit better and just for the record i will be the first to buy a barbara Khan lego figurine so see if you <laughs> see if you can make that happen i, I just i mean i'm just i'm just i'm just putting it out there for the record so <laughs> I don't know, Kara, if you've seen the numbers yet, because it's too small, really, to see. It's, it's kind of concept. Lego's been doing really well. I think camp is too small to call one way or another. Mm -hmm. But it will be interesting to see when push comes to shove how the numbers um, play out. Because, again, you know, competing with, with Walmart or Target in the toys business is still going to be pretty tricky. They're doing very, very well in that business. So the jury's still out, but it's a fun thing to experiment with for sure. And if you ever go into New York, America, you definitely should check out this camp store. I think it's okay, Lego. for sure. Let's switch gears a little and do your other deep dive, which I think just came out, and maybe even today. I'm looking at the date. Yeah, it was you back talking, today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you were talking about dicks. Now this is a very interesting world to me because we've been talking about. Now America's is big on Nike. We've been talking about Nike's doing. Nike's doubled down on only a few holes sailors, um, which are Foot Locker and Dix. These are really the two big ones. And Foot Locker, I know, has been doing a lot of interesting things going into um, inner city kind of stores and being very experiential. And I really had no idea what Dix was doing. So I was so happy to hear that you did a deep dive on Dix. Can you tell us what they've been doing? Yeah. And this was, I mean, this was fascinating to me too, because I cover the athletics retailers. So I hear about Nike all the time and they're very <laughs> vocal about, you know, all of the experiential stuff that they're doing with stores and, you know, all, all of that. So Dick's, I kind of noticed, um, we covered like one of, they, they announced they were launching a store concept and we covered it. And then it was like a few months later, they announced another one. And then it was like, they the announcements just kept coming. And I was like, what is happening <laughs> at Dick's Sporting Goods right now? Um, so that's kind of the, the gist of why I did this feature, but essentially they're, they're testing out five different store concepts right now. So three of them are, are off price based. And then one of them is called house of sports. So it's kind of this experiential flagship like place that, uh, that has a turf field and has, you know, like, um, wellness classes, yoga things. Like it has all of, all of the, the whole, <laughs> the whole kind of gamut of, of experiential stuff a batting then, cage yeah wow. like really, kind, of, kind wow. of every sport you can imagine it has something related to it there's a rock climbing wall like all of this stuff and then mm -hmm. uh the last one is a new kind of banner so it's not going to be under the dick's name it's it's called public lands and it's an outdoors focused retailer so it's going to compete probably with like the likes of rei to give you uh, a thought of like what this is similar to but mm -hmm. so they're basically testing all of these at the same time and you know, I was kind of like, should they be testing everything at the same time? Um, but all of the analysts that I've talked to kind of mirrored what you were saying, Barbara, which is they have such a strong relationship with Nike and they're doing such a good job. They're kind of like the sole survivor in the big box, like sporting goods space. So mm. they, they frankly just have, they have the money to be able to test these things out and see what's going to work. 
Um, but it's, it's, it's super interesting. And like, at least on the off price side, they're probably only going to end up moving forward with, you know, one of those or maybe two of them or something. They're probably not going to have all three. Um, but basically they're just, they're just going, you know, all, all, all speed ahead at testing out all of these different, uh, store concepts. Yeah. And Dix was the one who you might remember last year or so took the stand against guns um, and their CEO went on the speaking tour against guns in the hunting thing. So he's doubling down on the mm. sports um, experience and these other kinds of plays. Uh, and I, for sure, I think that go, coming out of the pandemic, the, this outdoor space, I mean, that's almost like brilliant there's got to be increased yes. interest in all of that yes, so yes. that's got to make sense and a lot of the outdoor retailers were like pretty thankful that they were in that space during the pandemic because they ended up getting this kind of unexpected boom from it so there's definitely part of that that's feeding into this and also it goes back to the values point the public lands concept is going to to champion environmental efforts as well ah. so they're also leaning into that uh well kara thank you so much for joining us um Again, you come in with your expertise. Help us, uh, help us pour professors out with next big things and what's going on in retail. Uh, where can our listeners go to keep up with you and your research and your future deep dives? Yes, um, and thanks for having me again. It's always so fun to talk through my, my musings with you guys. <laughs> um, but no, readers, you can go to retaildive.com. That's where all of our content is. And you can also sign up for any of our newsletters there. Um, but yeah, so thanks so much for having me again. It's been fun. Thank you. Um, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk with Elisa Bloom, who's the executive director of the Philadelphia Fashion Incubator. This is Marketing Matters Business Radio, Sirius XM 132.